belly and the fish. Belly, belly and the fish. Welcome, friends, to Belly and the Fish. I'm your host, Corbin, a.k.a. The Fish, and we got Ben Belly Smokes Hunter. What's up, Belly? Not much, man. Just another miserable Monday at work, ready to chat with a few of my close pals. Mm-hmm. Speaking of pals, we got none other than the Big Mart here at my residence recording. What's up, Mart? It is an honor and a privilege, my friend. How we doing? Not too shabby. It's about time we got you on. Too much Call of Duty and softball, but I guess you got your priorities. Yeah, you got to balance it out. I see a loss every week here with this team, and yeah, I try to just kind of forget about it sometimes. What's your ERA looking like there, buddy? You know, I'll I'll string through a couple. Uh, I'll have the cutter going and uh, have them off balance a little bit. But, you know, you get shredded pretty quick in that league with a 210-yard fence out there, or foot fence, rather. So, you know, it's hit or miss. Right now I'm sitting at 1.93, though. <laughs> in slow-pitch softball? That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know. I've been throwing darts all year. Thing is, I think he probably has calculated his ERA. I did when I used to pitch. Really? Yeah. <laughs> What'd you have? Wasn't that low? I didn't play in the Grand Rapids Municipal League where everybody is trash. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what league it is. If you're 32 and one, that counts for something. Yeah, I mean, Corbin used to play against disadvantaged kids in junior high. I wouldn't be surprised if you're doing it too. <laughs> that was Central Basketball. Fly high, Phoenix. <laughs> That's not true. But anyways, let's jump right into it. Before we do this week, we're for segments. We've got Benton with the belly and Survivor per usual. We've got a special intervention and then bowels of the belly and Corbin, how bad do you want it? So this week obviously did not go as planned. Lions went to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Lined opened at six and a half, closed at seven. We did not cover we were defeated by the Cowboys 24 to six. It seems like Cowboys always have our number offensively. I thought we did some good things. We were moving the ball in the first half and second half. We just fell apart. The real talk around town is Jared Goff. He started off hot in our first four games and then we had new England and Dallas and he has fallen apart. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Like I mentioned, first half was solid from Goff. He was looking good, moving the chains on first and second down but he just couldn't get it done in the red zone. And I really feel like every time we plug one hole and we fix one issue, two more pop up in its place before we are always getting into third and fourth downs. And people were saying, why can't we just go for it on first down and second down and just keep moving the chains. And we did that this time for the first half, but then we couldn't convert in the red zone. Uh, he had two picks in the game, both in the second half. He wasn't pressured on either of those. And on the second pick, he had Khalif Raymond and TJ Hawkinson wide open, forced the ball, and that was picked up by Jordan Lewis. He had two fumbles in the fourth quarter and key drives as well. He just needs to learn to hold on to the fucking ball. I don't know what is wrong with him, but something has been in his head lately. You'll see throughout the game, he was just really inconsistent. Sometimes he would escape the pressure and make a good throw for a first down, or he would at least gain a couple yards, making something out of nothing. But then other times you just see him look like a complete buffoon and forget how to play football. On that Donovan Wilson sack, the safety when he came down, Jamal Williams whipped on the block. But if Jared Goff took one step up in that clean pocket, he had Khalif Raymond streaking down the field for an easy touchdown. He just continues to show that he can't handle the pressure. He gets rattled and makes dumb decisions. 
No, I mean, I think that and we're seeing this all over the media, unless it's perfect for him and he's got everything and all the tools at his disposal, he, he gets exposed. I mean, you lose Swift, you lose St. Brown and sure enough, I mean, the guy's rattled. Um, he's just looks nervous under pressure. He does not step up in the pocket. Two weeks ago, we're all saying this is our guy. We got to ride him. He's proving it, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, we've got to take a look in the mirror here. I mean, it's going to be a very tough decision on this guy. There's a lot of season left. I do think the schedule opens up, um, but it's time for him to prove it. And unless his weapons are all there at his disposal, I just do not know if he can get it done for this team. As you said, Mark, two weeks ago or whatever it was, you guys were glorifying this guy, saying we should bring him back. And once again, Lions fans jump into conclusions. I don't think he's the guy. I don't think we need to keep him much longer. Draft a rookie or bring in some cheaper vet, but I don't. I think this guy's done. Ben, again, I don't disagree with you, but the, you say like we want to bring him back, but we already have him under contract. Like we don't need to resign him. Yes, it's a big cap hit, but who are we going to replace him with? Say we finish with the first overall pick and we get Bryce Young or whatever quarterback tickles your fancy, what are they going to do right out of the gate? Do you think that they're going to be a step up from Jared Goff immediately? Because that doesn't really happen. Even if you have a prospect like Trevor Lawrence, you still see him having growing pains. It takes a rare quarterback to just step up, grab the reins, and just take control of the team. So even if we have Jared Goff for 2023 and we've got Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or Will Levis in the fold waiting for their turn, he's a good guy to tutor them and kind of be the stopgap guy until we're ready to, you know, pass the wheel to the young guy. He's still a cap hit of $30.5 million. That's the going rate that these days for anybody that's even considered top 15. But I have a feeling it's going to be a tough decision. Like I said, I, this schedule is going to ease up a bit. I do think Swift is back next week. Um, and St. Brown, I mean, we'll talk about the concussion call, but it was clear he probably would have came back had it not been for Tua um, a couple of weeks ago. I think there's going to be some new rules about that. But um, I think Goff has a shot of, of really playing some solid ball down the line here. And it's going to be all offseason. Who are they going to draft? Are they going to go defense or QB of the future? I don't think this debate's going to go away. Geno Smith, three and a half million dollar cap hit. Yeah, maybe you get lucky with a Geno Smith, but nobody was counting on him to pan out at the beginning of the year. And like Eric said, when the Rams got rid of him, they knew that everything had to be perfect for Jared Goff to succeed. And I don't disagree with that, but we have had good games out of Jared Goff. I mean, we were the top three offense in the NFL for the first four weeks, and that was because of him. You do see those inconsistencies, and you still see him make mistakes, but you can win games with Jared Goff. If you've got a guy with Geno Smith, how far can he really take you? You know, he has been doing great this year, you know, good on him, but I'd feel a lot more comfortable with Jared Goff at the helm as opposed to Geno Smith because it's just a matter of time before he fucks up. But it's not just that. It's what can you do with the other $27 million? What? Who do you think is going to come to Detroit? Like, you think we're going to get, like, two of the best free agents on the no, market? No, no, no. That's not my point. But I'm just saying you can buy a cheap vet, one that's not $30 million, because he's still on that Rams contract when they paid him all that money. You can find someone that's much cheaper. I don't know. I would even take Matt Ryan for really cheap, even though he's been dust. But it doesn't matter. It's not – you're only putting a stopgap in there until your rookie can come up that you can draft. So you only need a guy for six games to just show him what it's like to play NFL ball, and then you move on. But you don't need to be paying him $30 million. You can 
spend that money much better elsewhere. My thing is we are bringing up our young core and we want to give them playing time. So say we sign a, you know, a big free agent defensive end. Well, we've already got Charles Harris there and we've got Josh Pascal. So that's just going to cut into their playing time. And you can apply that to any position. If it's wide receiver, offensive line, whatever it might be, it's just going to cut into our use reps. And that's yeah, but, going to hurt us in the long run. But if you don't use the money, the money rolls over. We haven't even mentioned, excuse me, getting J-Mo back. I mean, you add him. Chark, I think I think he's done for the year. Um, but you get him back with these other two weapons, Swift, St. Brown. I mean, all of a sudden, Goff's going to emerge again. He's shown time and time again. When he has those weapons, he is more than serviceable. So right now, you know, this roster gets thin quick, and we knew that coming in. And that's when you get the questions about golf right now that we're all having and reading about. And I get it. It's deserved. It's just we're going to have to see how these next, you know, 10 games go. Yeah, just because he was able to get it done with Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond a couple of games and still put up points doesn't mean that that's going to be the norm. I mean, you can't expect to go a full season with just those two guys and have a prolific season. You need your weapons like Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Swift. And when JMO comes back, that's going to help too. So I get it. Goff has had two terrible games. He lost us this game completely. This is completely on his shoulders. But I'm just saying, like, there are games where he is solid, and then you're going to have games where he does what he did this week against the Cowboys. So I'm just saying you could do a lot worse. You know, we're going to live with and die by Goff as long as he's our starting quarterback. He's going to win us some games. He's going to lose us some games. He's probably going to lose us most games, to be honest. But I think that he's fine for this year, and at least for the first half of 2023. Getting into the running game, obviously losing Swift hurt a lot. We could have used him this game. I thought that Jamal did pretty good carrying the ball with the exception of his first loss fumble in his career. It couldn't have came at a worse time at the one yard line when we're in striking distance about to take the lead in the fourth quarter. That was the difference of the game right there. We just kept shooting ourselves in the foot with turnovers. Jamal had his, and then Jared Goff had four. That's unacceptable. In the second half, it it just completely destroyed us. So yeah, we lost 24 to six, but this game was neck and neck through three quarters of the game. Chark being out has really hurt us. He's been gone the past four weeks and it really showed how much we need Jamison Williams to come back because Reynolds and Khalif Raymond aren't going to be able to shoulder the workload that we need in order to win games and that we need for our offense to put up points in this league. Now, the one bright spot on offense was Michael, the big dick Badgley, coming through with two big field goals. What do you think, Mart? Is he the next big thing? We've got to support the guy. I think that this whole coaching staff has – pretty much made every kicker in the house nervous um i mean last week we or two weeks ago rather right before the bye we refused to even let him kick um finally we do and he hits a 50 yarder um so i mean we've got to show some confidence and get some continuity going here i mean you're an nfl team you're through five kickers already i believe in the last three months i mean that's absurd we can talk about re-signing Prater and this headache would have been non-existent, um, but that's in the past. And I mean, this guy's still young. He filled in for the bears a couple of weeks ago. He went four for four. So clearly, even though he's changing scenes week to week, he believes in himself and he's proving it. So, yeah, I mean, I think we get until he shows us something else, we got to believe in the guy. I'll tell you one thing in my uh, hangover stupor, I look at the TV and I see Michael Badgley coming up to kick that guy has lost me so many money line bets down the stretch when he was on the Chargers. And I just remember right before he goes to kick, 
They're like, oh, we talked to him earlier in the day, and he said his nickname was the Money Badger. I turned to my buddy. I go, this kick is going to be so far wide right. And sure <laughs> enough, he fucking shanked it. But um, I'm happy for him for going 100%. But, man, stay away from this guy if you're gambling and it comes down to a last-second field goal. <laughs> yeah, stay away from the Lions in general. We have not covered in the past three games, so Vegas has figured something out. We started 3-0, and and now we're 0-3. We got to get something going, but Michael Badgley gets my MVP on the offense. Not a very high bar, but props to him. Hopefully he can keep it going. Let's move on to the defense. Now we can get a little positive about them because they really stepped up this game. Obviously coming in 32nd ranked defense in the NFL. They were terrible, but I thought they did a great job. They gave Dak trouble all day. Sure. It was his first game back from injury, but you know, Dak has had top seasons as an NFL QB. And for the most part, we really held him to a somewhat respectable line. He did not beat us. It was Jared Goff that lost us this game. Our defense did a great job. They stood on their head. Dak was 19 for 25. He had 207 yards passing, and he did have one touchdown. But that touchdown was literally handed to him by Jared Goff when Sam Williams came and took the ball right out of his hands. So that was an easy two-yard completion to the tight end for the touchdown. Also blown coverage by a Warrior. C.D. Lamb, I thought we contained him pretty well. Um, the only time he was able to get open and make something happen was when he was matched up against A.J. Parker. Uh, he had a really impressive 30-yard something reception um, in double coverage, so that was a great snag by him, but I thought that we really held him down. The real reason why we gave up the points and the yards that we did was because we were just getting gashed in the run game. Um, the drive after that Trayvon Diggs interception was absolutely killer. Zeke and Tony Pollard both went off for 20 plus yard runs on that drive. It was like a 90 something yard drive all the way down for a touchdown until Zeke punched it in. And we still cannot defend when running backs are cutting back opposite the blocks. I saw one and Josh Pascal had a great game, but I did see one play where, you know, the line was blocking to the left and Tony Pollard runs left. He cuts back right. Josh Pascal was there in containment, which is great because you don't see anybody ever contain on our D-line. But he was a, he was too far off and gave him too much space. He was able to run right off of his tackle and bust off another big gain in the fourth quarter. So uh, run game leads a lot to be desired in terms of um, efficiency there. But uh, we were great on third down. Cowboys were only three for nine. I thought we did a great job pinning our ears back and getting the job done when we really needed to come up with a stop to force the Cowboys into punt situations. I thought Kirby Joseph had a really nice game. He had some good tackles. He dropped another pick, which would have been a big play, but there were also some, you know, some negatives to his game because he did miss a couple of tackles. Like there was one on the big Pollard run that I mentioned where Josh Pascal miscontained. He wasn't able to come up with a tackle. So he did have the highlight with that forced fumble on Noah Brown but there's still some things to clean up. He's a rookie. I won't be too hard on him. But overall, I thought that our young core did a really nice job on defense. It was Josh Pascal's first game back. Aiden Hutchinson had one and a half sacks. I mentioned Kirby Joseph's forced fumble. He had a pass breakup too. Jeff Okuda was a tackling machine, 15 tackles. Malcolm Rodriguez keeps getting it done, just steady Eddie. And then we got the big boy, Aleem, the Dream McNeil in the middle. If you have Tracy Walker coming back next year, that's seven guys that are foundational pieces on your defense. All 25, I don't know how old Tracy Walker is, 25, 26, but all under 24, 25 years old. I feel really good with that coming into the 2023 season. 
I think this is the first time in a few years that we can say that um, to be able to build on the defensive side with seven guys, six, seven guys that you can consider a young core. I mean, to have that stability and that's going to carry over next year. Um, but how about Jeff Akuda? I mean, we got to give that guy some props for him to come back from the Achilles like he did. Um, I want to give a shout out to the coaching staff to, to at least see that putting him in the box could maybe bring out something we haven't seen out of him. And it sure did. Um, he ended up with 15 tackles, 12 solo. I mean, that is insane. It actually set a record first time since 1994 that a cornerback had 12 solo tackles and one tackle for loss. And I also think too, that, uh, to have Josh Pascal in there, I mean, it's going to leave so much more for Aiden Hutchinson to work with, and we saw that. I mean, if these guys can, uh, you know, be the Bash brothers down there in the trenches, um, that's another draft pick that we got to give Brad Holmes credit for. I understand this is only one game and a lot can change, but if he's going to do what we saw flashes of in his first week back, I mean, he's still getting his legs under him, and he made a serious impact, especially in the first half. Um, so there are some definite positives to take away from this game there on the defensive side. Yeah, there might be some positives, but they, they got to get to the quarterback more. There's still a long way to go, man. Only two sacks in the game. Um, I don't know. Just I'm just looking over the roster and just, yeah, it's a lot of young talent that hopefully develops eventually. But I mean, it just all around, you got to be better. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you, Ben, but. They are all young rookies, second year, some third year players. And we have our captain sitting out with an Achilles injury. So all things considered, I was really happy with this performance. I thought it was our greatest defensive performance of the season so far. We got a lot to build on. Like Eric said, hopefully Josh Pascal can keep this going. I know it was only his first NFL game, but it was very promising to see him have the effect on the defense that he did. Um, moving on, let's talk about coaching. Aaron Glenn should be given a lot of credit for him moving Jeff Okuda into the box and playing that kind of linebacker in the box safety role. That's how he was able to be put in the position to make as many tackles as he did. But I thought the defense stepped up. Josh Pascal coming back really freed up Agent Hutchinson to run free and do what he does best. You didn't see too much aggressiveness. We didn't have any fourth down attempts this game. Um, but we weren't really in a position to do so. There were some fourth and sevens at midfield where Dan Campbell did elect to punt. And so maybe you think like, uh, is that the media and the fans getting to him talking shit because he has been so aggressive in the past, but I thought every decision he made was smart. There wasn't really a time that I would have chose to have gone for it. I wanted to talk a little bit about not challenging the spot of the ball on that Brock Wright almost touchdown. He was clearly short, and if Dan Campbell would have challenged, it wouldn't have been a touchdown, so it would have been a loss of timeout. But if he did, we could have gotten the ball at about the half-yard line, which would have made a little bit of a difference. Maybe we could have sneaked it, or Jamal could have just punched it in from there. But in the end, we ended up fumbling it right at the one-yard line, and that really changed the tides of the game. That's nothing to do with coaching. I think it was fine to save that timeout with a one-yard run and you know three, four tries to get it in. I thought that it was the right call not to challenge it and to just run up, go up there and quit try and get a runoff. Unfortunately, it didn't work out the way we wanted to. But Eric, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the end of the first half. The Lions had the ball with just under two minutes left. We ran three run plays to draw the clock out and go into halftime. What do you think about that? So that's a tough one. And I think 
couple weeks ago. Maybe Dan pushes it, but I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say that he saw who we had personnel wise out there. Without Swift, without Amon Ra, I know I sound like a broken record here, but I mean these are two guys that give us some electric aspects that the other guys simply do not. Um, I also I want to say that he saw some things on defense that he was liking, and he wanted to control the clock, not put the defense in a bad spot. He felt confident about some of the changes we made coming into this game, and clearly they were working. I mean, I don't, I don't think Dallas even had 10 points at that point in time. And, you know, you just don't want to put yourself in a bad spot, turn the ball over, give Dallas an automatic touchdown or a field goal at least. And furthermore, we were going to get the ball in the second half. So I think he just kind of knew that. And he just was trying to play some conservative ball, which is not typically his MO, but I can't say I fault him given who we had out there. Yeah, I agree. At the time I was kind of like, why are we not going for this right now? But then I kind of took a step back and realized like we are getting the ball at half. You know, Dan Campbell in the past has been aggressive, and maybe he would have gone for that if we had Amon Ra in the game or DeAndre Swift. I was okay going into halftime with the lead. So before we move on to the game ball and the burning bag of dog shit, let's talk about the officials. Because I feel like anytime we play a team like the Cowboys or the Packers, this shit always happens. And, you know, on any other game, I wouldn't really, you know, question it. Like, bad calls are made all the time, but... Makes me think the NFL might be a little rigged. It makes uh, there's a little blip on my radar when we play the Cowboys, especially after that 2014 playoff wild card game against the Cowboys on that no call pass interference that was picked up on Anthony Hitchens. Don't want to talk about that because it'll get me all riled up. But a couple of calls that were super questionable, like sure, like Russell misholding calls and questionable PIs all the time. And I thought that there were some bad calls that went both ways on the Cowboys. I won't say it was just us. What was me? But the no review on the interception by Trayvon Diggs, that was a pivotal point of the game and ultimately led to a 90 something yard drive by the Cowboys to put the first touchdown on the board. How does that not go to review? Dan Campbell couldn't even do anything. He can't challenge a turnover. That is up to the officials and to the booth to review that. And they just let it fly because to me, it looked like he didn't have possession of the ball and it bounced back into his chest. I thought that was not an interception. You know, you could say it was a bad throw by Goff and there's no doubt that it was, but you still have to complete the catch for it to be an interception. And that I think was one of the most bullshit calls that I have seen all season. And it's just funny that it happens when we play the Cowboys, because it seems like every single time we play them, we have a play like that. And that just infuriates me. And then the suplex on one of our running backs, I can't remember if it was Craig Reynolds or Justin Jackson, but he clearly picked him up and just slammed him onto the ground. And you see that suplex get called in any other game. Why was it not on us? He didn't really like put body weight on him or anything, but that's an unnecessary roughness, whatever. I'll let that slide. But then we had the Julian Aquara sack in the fourth quarter that was taken off because of a bullshit pass interference call on Deshaun Elliott. And the only reason I say it was bullshit is because I didn't see it. Because the way I saw it was the receiver was running at Deshaun Elliott and he didn't even put hands on him by the time our defense was able to get to Dak Prescott and bring him down. And of course you don't see a replay on that. So whenever you don't show a replay, of a penalty it automatically makes me suspicious but anyways i'm getting too worked up about these penalties officiating it's always been a problem for the lions i've seen it so many times and it is really frustrating but overall i know that's not why we lost the game 
it's just unfortunate to see that shit happen in the Cowboys game. I mean, you think maybe if that Diggs interception gets wiped off the board, things could have been different, but ultimately you got to deal with these calls and we weren't able to get it done in the other areas when we had a chance. I mean, even when you got Tony Romo in the booth calling a Cowboys game five, six times telling you that that call was a little suspect and the Lions may have gotten a little screwed there. I mean, you got to think something's going on. Um, But once again, I mean, we can't be blaming the refs week in, week out. I know we don't, but it does it does seem to add up just a little bit too much. Um, but the fact is, is this team is not talented enough to overcome the injuries they have and the refs. I mean, we're in it until we're not. And as soon as things start going bad for us, it just seems like it snowballs. And I just think that when it comes down to it, the lack of talent, lack of depth is just – you know, you, you can't overcome that kind of stuff, throw in a couple bad calls and we're not going to win games, but we need to start proving that, you know, we're, we're built different and the NFL is not going to respect us until we do. So I, I think that it, we're still a good solid year away from even coming close to that. But yeah, I mean, against the Cowboys and the Packers, as we know too, it just, it seems to happen freakishly often and it is, it is disheartening. Well, I'm ready to close the book on week seven. It was terrible. I want to forget about it, and I want to move on to the Dolphins. But before we do, let's talk game ball and our burning bag of dog shit, starting with Big Mart. Who you got for your game ball, Mart? Game ball's got to go to Jeff Okuda here. I mean, I mentioned him earlier. I got to say it again. I mean, this guy was all over the field, showed no fear, absolutely laying the lumber on Zeke. Zeke was shook. He did not want to see number one Jeff Okuda coming down. He did it 12 times, 15 total, one tackle for a loss. I mean, the guy was a freaking ball hawk. Um, you love to see it. This is a guy that we need going forward. I mean, we're going to start to talk about a contract extension. Um, he's pacing a Pro Bowl. Uh, he was only targeted three times, um, and he gave up less than 25 yards once again. Um, the guy has been he's been put on an island, and he's delivered. I mean, not a single one of us expected this. Um, and I, I cannot be more excited to see what I'm seeing out of him. What you got for us, Bell? Who are you giving your game ball to? Nobody? Uh, actually, I'm going to throw you a little curveball, and if you recall last week's episode, I said that if you could find a prop bet on over .5 interceptions for Trayvon Diggs to smash it, and sure enough, he did get the pick. So we're just going to go with the Cowboys defense as a whole, throwing up 23 fantasy points, the number one defense in football right now. Uh, fantasy wise so the game ball goes you know cut it into a bunch of pieces give it to the whole team my <laughs> game ball is going to be going to josh pascal and he di- didn't really show up on the box score only two tackles officially but he was an absolute problem for that dallas offensive line he played that big dn role logged 83 percent of snaps tied with aiden hutchinson on that d line he really helped free up aiden hutchinson and i think he kind of gets a pseudo assist for those one and a half sacks being able to take on that tight end and tackle, giving Hutchinson those one-on-one matchups. I thought that he did a great job applying some more pressure on the quarterback. He was stout in run defense as well. He forced running backs inside for the linebackers and Jeff Okuda to clean up. I thought it was a great first career start. He still has to clean some things up, like the play I mentioned about Pollard taking it back inside on him, but I think that it was a really good first game. Can't believe neither of you picked the money badger. Hmm. (laughs) Nah. I'm not giving it to the kicker. I like only to be... guy who scored points on your squad. <laughs> well, whatever. All right, Mart. How about your first inaugural 
burning bag of dog shit. Who's getting it? The burning bag has got to go to Jared Goff. I don't think it's even a question. Um, the guy was sacked five times, two fumbles, two interceptions, did not step up in the pocket, missed several wide open receivers. Um, I mean, even Tony Romo was saying that if he stepped up, Khalif Raymond right down the slot, wide open touchdown, missed it. I mean, if you need magic to come out of this guy's hat, he's not going to have it back against the wall. You hate to see it, and uh, that's two straight weeks without a TD, and he's just simply got to be better. Who's getting your burning bag of dog shit, Belly? Don't care. Whole team. Oh, great. <laughs> well, I'm tailing Eric. Jared Thomas Goff had his worst game by far of the season. I mean, you just got to be better. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but the four turnovers, that will lose you a game nine times out of ten. I mean, I don't know what else to say about him. He's just so inconsistent. You don't know what you're getting with him week to week. That's going to do it for Dallas Talk. Let's dive into our next week's matchup. Week eight, Dolphins in Detroit, Sunday, October 30th, for a spooky 1 p.m. game the day before Halloween. It is the tuna versus the lion from the other guys, except this time the lions will prevail. Last week, the Steelers went to Miami and lost to the dolphins 10 to 16. Last time we played the dolphins, the lions were victorious, beating them 32 to 21. The spread is set lions, three point dogs over under 50 and a half. The dolphins started red hot. They won their first three games that proceeded to lose the next three. Tua is back. They just won against the Steelers, so they are sitting at a comfortable four and three at in the AFC East. Uh, Tua does not have the jelly brain. He was putting it all on the line against the Steelers, making things happen for a close victory. But Mike McDaniel has gone back to the tried and true 49er Raheem with his speed. He's the lead back for the Dolphins. But the main concern that we are going to have is Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. They're going to be an issue. We've got a Warrior, we've got Okuda. And we're going to have safety help over top. God, please hope that I just hope that is enough. I really do not know what's going to happen with that. But the Dolphins defense is kind of middle of the road statistically, but I think they're very underrated. They've got some ball hawking defensive backs with Javon Holland and Xavier Howard. I think the keys to victory this game are starting hot and getting up on the scoreboard early because we can't be in a position where we are relying on Jared Goff to keep us in the game or bring us back. He's not Matt Stafford. He's not captain comebacks. So I think that we really need to focus on striking really early on the offensive end. We got to put up some points and make the Dolphins play from behind. Goff needs to be smart with his passes and with the pressure. Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Agba, Melvin Ingram, they're going to be a problem off the edge. So we need to be able to look for dump offs. And if we have Swift back, that is going to be key to getting him out in space and just avoiding that pressure altogether. We got Amon Ross, St. Brown and Hawkinson for some underneath stuff if we need to get it out quick. And I think that they are going to be sending the house on us. Defensively, I think we got to rush four or five because we're going to need help to stop Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. If we can't stop them, the Dolphins are going to drop 40 on our heads how they have other teams this season. So locking them down is going to be critical. If you beat us with Raheem Mostert and Mike Gesicki, I'm fine with that. But we cannot let these guys both go off for 10-plus catches and 175 yards like they did against who was at the Ravens earlier this year. And then containment on those running plays, if we force Mostert back inside, I think that we're going to be able to bottle him up. As soon as he gets the edge, and their zone scheme, and he's able to get out in space, 
that's where he breaks off those big runs. So I think that forcing him inside and working on that containment is going to be critical for us to pull out the victory with Josh Pascal. He did a good job. Hopefully he can build on that, but I think we got to let Tua win this game for the dolphins. If we put the ball in his hands and he beats us, you know, damn, we tried. But if we're letting Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle just run a train on us, there's not a whole lot of hope that we have. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it. I mean, they this is one of the most electric offenses in the whole league. Um, it's going to be a big task for Akuda. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he shadows Tyreek, but I mean, then you look across the field and there's Waddle. We're going to have our hands full. There's no 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 doubting that. Hey, it's a home game. The crowd has been in it every single week. I expect the same. Um, I think Swift will be back. St. Brown will certainly be back. And I actually do have us taking this one. Uh, this is going to be a, a solid team that we're going to have to bring our all against. Um, I think the defense, our defensive line is going to be the biggest difference here. I mean, the Do- Dolphins offensive line can be exploited. Uh, Tua has certainly felt that a few weeks prior. Not saying I want that to happen to the guy again, but we're going to need to get to him, and he's going to have to be running for his life a little bit if we if we want to have a chance because uh, the Lions secondary is just not going to be able to compete against these two wide receivers. So we're going to need the home crowd, and uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting game because this coaching staff truly needs a win right now. I mean, the pressure is building, and uh, we're running out of excuses, really. Yeah, I too care for Tua's health, but I absolutely want to smoke him legally and punish him. <laughs> I want to bury him in the ground and make him not want to come back out. And afterwards, I hope he's okay. All right, let's get to predictions then. Mark, what you got for us? I actually have the Lions taking this one 27-24. I think Badgley is going to give us two more field goals. And Money that position is going to be feeling pretty good. Um, you know, if St. Brown and Swift don't play, that's totally going to change. I have that prediction banking on both of them. I do think they will both play. Um, and like I said, I think the D line is going to have to work. I think it will get to Tua just a little bit. And I think it's going to be the difference maker. Um, Lions bounce back 27, 24 second win on the season. I have a little different thought process in my mind, Mart. I think the Lions are going to drop this one again, but I do agree with you on the two kicks from the Money Badger. Uh, I got Dolphins 33, Lions 13, just a big old blowout there. I expect that last touchdown to come late in garbage time, so they're going to have six points most of the game again, just like last week. Um, Yeah, Dolphins by 20. You're a fucking asshole, Belly, but (laughs) I can't disagree with you. I've got the Lions going down as well. The belly bundle did not work out last week, but this week, maybe, or Lions money line, who knows? But like I said, I want to set myself up, set my standards low so that the Lions can shatter my expectations. I've got the Lions losing 20 to 21. Corbin, to be honest with you, the way that score looks, that looks like just what I drew up earlier today. The Lions will score the tying touchdown and the money badger will blow it wide right. Right at the end of the game. Yeah, except you have a Dolphins 33, Lions 13. I'm talking about for your spread. Whatever. It's going to be closer than you think. The Dolphins have cooled down a little bit, but, you know, it's not, I'm not counting us out. I think that this is a winnable game. We do have home field advantage, and hopefully we have Swift and Amon Ra back. We'll see how she goes, but for now, I'm going to keep my expectations low so that they can be shattered on Sunday, and I will be elated. That'll do it for the preview. Ben, what do you got for us? This is b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b b
Ooh, a good segment. I had myself a hot Sunday. So if you recall, the way this works is we pick one favorite, one underdog, one over, and one under. Last week was a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Corbin led the charge with three and one. John, two and two. Myself, two and two. And our good old friend, Tyler, I know rosters may with 0 and 4. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the past two weeks, I've finally put a little halt on gambling because I've been on such a cold streak. And now I've gone like, what, six and two the past two weeks. So as soon as I start gambling again, I'm going to start losing again. So maybe I'll just ride it out and have the uh, the pride on the podcast. Yeah. Pride for the podcast. No financial gain. Not my style. Anyways, we're going to roll right into our picks. Mart, what do you got for your favorite this week? Favorite this week, I got the Vikings coming fresh off a bye. I think they're going to be too much versus the Cardinals. They've got uh, four to cover. I think they do cover that four. Vikings are going to take that one there. Yeah, maybe their defense will hold up like they did Thursday night with two pick sixes. Corbin, what about you for a favorite? This week, I'm taking the Ravens. One and a half point favorites going to Tampa Bay to take on the shit bucks. Tom Brady is looking like a shell of themselves. They can't move the ball. They just lost to the Panthers. Maybe they bounce back, but the Ravens are still looking good. I like the Ravens this week, one-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to agree with you, too. Um, I do think Tom Brady's the GOAT, and he might have a bounce-back game, but I just feel like the Ravens are too much of a gap between them and the Panthers to them uh, to really just bounce back in full force. So I am going to take the Ravens as well. Mart, hit me with your dog. Dog, I'm I'm gonna be a homer. I'm gonna take the Lions. I saw them plus three and a half this morning, so that's the spread I'm going off of. Um, I love the changes on defense. I think Aaron Glenn is on to something here, and I think at home the Lions take care of those three and a half points. Corby, my dog is gonna be the Saints plus two at home versus the Raiders. The Raiders are coming off a win. Devontae Adams had his revenge game for the shove on the cameraman, but who knows? You're getting Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. Andy Dalton had himself a game other than the three picks. He had four touchdowns. I looked at the stat line and almost thought it was Jameis at quarterback, but I like the Saints going back at home and bouncing back. I do think Jameis is going to be back this game. I think Dalton's going to take a seat, but um, I don't hate that pick. You know me. I love that laser eye, son of a bitch. Just five touchdowns, five interceptions. We don't know what's going to happen with old crab leg. Um, for myself, I went with the Jets. I'm all aboard. Um, even though they lost Brees Hall with the ACL injury, I think Michael Carter can hold the load. He did all right last year. So, yeah, I'm going to take them and the points versus the Patriots. Uh, who you got for an over there, Marty? I got uh, Seahawks-Giants at 46. I think that's going to be an over. Seahawks defense allowed Jared Goff to drop 45 on him. I think Saquon's going to run all over that team. Geno has shown up this year. I think he shows up again. A little bit of a barn burner down there. Oh, and you know I love to see Danny Dimes throw up wins and points. Corbin, what about you? For me, I'm taking the Falcons-Panthers over 42 points. The Falcons are always putting up points. I'd like to see what they are on overs this year, but they're always putting up between 20 and 30. The Panthers actually look solid against a stout Bucks defense. So maybe they're getting a little bit of juice without their coach, seeing that all these pieces are getting traded. So I think that a lot of these guys are playing for their jobs, and I think it's a very low number at 42. So give me that over. That was a ballsy play of an over between Mariota and PJ Walker. But you know what? I'd love to see it. <laughs> uh, for myself, I got the Packers and the Bills at over 47 and a half. Uh, the Bills have either the best or the second best offense in football behind the Chiefs. I think they're going to put up 
points. Uh, the Packers look like a shell of themselves. Um, but you never know. Aaron Rodgers could catch fire and run the table again. Um, so we're going to see, I'm guessing, at least eight touchdowns between the two quarterbacks in this game. And then uh, last but not least, the under. Mark, what are you feeling? Hey, man, Corbin's been on a heater, but I got to fade him on that. I got under on the Panthers-Falcons. I don't see it happening down there. Um, Falcons, they don't even throw the ball to Kyle Pitts. They don't throw the ball to Drake London. I don't get it. I think Tom Brady was a little distracted with the divorce, took him a little lightly. I don't think that the Panthers are that good, and it's going to be a boring one down there. Corby? What? What would you like for your under, bud? <laughs> oh, <laughs> For my under, you know, give me the uh, Lions-Dolphins because the Lions have hit three consecutive unders and the Dolphins' offense has cooled a little bit. I don't think Vegas has that recency bias that I do. The offenses on both teams have started to cool a little bit and 50 and a half is a pretty big number. Lions' defense has stepped up. I already talked about my affinity for the uh, Dolphins' defense, so under 50 and a half for me. This is the first time this has happened, but we just had a live NFL trade during the podcast. James Robinson just traded to the New York Jets. No, I don't know what the package was for, but what do you think of that? Hey, I got ETN in two leagues, so thank God. Wheels up for him. And obviously the Jets feel like they've got a little something brewing over there and need to take the load off. It doesn't say the compensation package yet. No, it? no, this is just the initial report. So normally when that happens, it takes a little while. Um, I don't know what James Robinson contract was, but I bet they didn't have to pay much. He was like a seventh round pick or something, and this is his third year. So he's got two years left on the deal. Brees has the ACL that just came down today. And then you've got Michael Carter too. So I can see why the Jets want to keep this good thing going and bringing in James Robinson definitely helps because he does bring a different dynamic than Michael Carter does. I like it. I don't know what the Jags are going to be doing on depth at running back. I've always liked James Robinson. Well, they got Snoop Connor. Yeah, I don't like that. And then Jamichael Hasty, I think. I mean, the way the NFL is running nowadays, you kind of want that one-two punch like Swift and Jamal in case of injuries. And then it's not like Travis Etienne is the healthiest running back in the league. So, But I will say, though, I just looked it up. He is a restricted free agent at the end of the season, and the cap hit was only $896,000. Like, So I can't imagine that the pick was too high. He was also basically a healthy scratch last week, so he might be damaged goods right now coming off that Achilles. Hard to say. Um, he had some juice to start the year, so I guess I guess we'll see. And the Jags are 2-5, and five, so getting whatever they can for players yeah, that yeah, they're about absolutely. to lose. I get it. Okay, so for my under, I am going with my boys, the Titans, who pulled out a great win this weekend, and the Texans. The over-under is 40-and-a-half. I believe it is in Houston. I think the spread is something ridiculous as well. But I think the Titans are going to get back to Titans football and just let Derek Henry pound the rock, keep uh, their defense off the field for as long as they can. Uh, I know Tannehill came out with an injury. Um, even if Malik comes in, I think that just means that the Titans are going to run more. And I mean, the Texans are one and four. I don't think they can stop the big boy. Um, so that will be my underplay. Uh, that is going to wrap up the betting with the belly segment. Um, we're going to move on to the survivor pool, which I have news. It is over. In the uh, we only had two people left this uh last week and they both took the bucks. The bucks, as you know, fell and it went to a point differential, uh, to crown a winner. And my buddy Ryan has won it. How does that work? The point differential. So, say for example, we were week one or whatever, and you had the Bills minus 10.5 and I had the Saints at minus 7.5 or something. So, technically, I would have a three point edge on you if both teams won. 
That's a lame way to do it. I say just let them hash it out. Just those two go until someone misses. Uh, there was discrepancy, but I said this at the beginning of the year and nobody had a problem with it until the end, of course. And then they're like, well, that's not cool. And that's so it always uh, goes. I can't, uh, I, I'm not going to change something that I said at the beginning just to cater. They can split it if they want, but I doubt the guy who won is going to be like, oh, no, you can have it. <laughs> yeah, no. All right, go, um, Ryan. Good on him. Yeah. Going into last week, we got to look at uh, what Corbin picked. He had the Patriots, which you'll be able to play. I think they're going to pull out the win tonight, though, against the struggling Bears. And the Jets has a risky pick. The Jets keep rolling, so that was a great pick. I myself picked the Bucs, and TV 12 went down, and then my old boy, Captain Dimes, pulled out the W yet again. Uh, John and Tyler both had Patriots for their safe picks, so those remain question marks. Uh, for John's risky pick, he picked the Colts. Did not know what he was talking about, clearly, as the Titans took him down. And then Tyler had the Jags as the risky pick, and they lost. Did they lose? They lost. They lost. Tyler 0 for 5 overall. <laughs> he's got and the, the Jags lost game as head. well. <laughs> Oh, he's just banking on the Patriots. So if Tyler O five question you, mark on the week. <laughs> so pound the Bears tonight, guys. <laughs> um, rolling into our picks this week. Corbin, what do you got for a safe boy? My safe pick this week is going to be the Falcons. I already talked about them a little bit going against the Panthers. I think they're gonna pit up points. Panthers are coming off a nice moral victory against the Buccaneers, but I like the Falcons this year. Falcons, Jets, and Giants, those are my sneaky good teams of the season, so I'm riding with them. You know, there's not a lot of chances you're going to be able to pick the Atlanta Falcons as a clear favorite, but I think this is one of the safest ones that they'll have all year, so may as well get Atlanta out of the way while you can. Not a lot of options left at this point. Mark, what are we feeling for a safe guy? I think Eagles over Steelers has got to be a lock. Eagles coming off a bye. Jalen Hurts ready to rumble. Kenny Pickett uh, not looking the best. I, I think that's that's got to be pretty much a guarantee. Yeah, the Eagles have been tough to stop. They're kind of low-key, though. I mean, yes, they are undefeated, but I feel like everybody in the office and everybody around me talks about the Chiefs and the Bills. But the Eagles are sneaky good, man. Hey, people um, are going to learn. Who's going to learn? <laughs> Everyone's going to learn. The Everybody's going to learn. Yeah, they um, are. That team is stacked. I mean, I like that pick. So I don't even think it's sneaky at this point. But whatever. Go ahead. I just meant that everybody's talking about the Bills and the Chiefs. You don't hear too many, too much eagle chatter, at least down in Tennessee. That's fair. Um, moving forward for my uh, safe pick, I am going to go with the Bills. Um, they seem like they can't really be stopped except for that one blemish against the Dolphins. They're playing the struggling Packers, and that was my over as well. I just think it's going to be a high-scoring game for Josh Allen, putting up the QB no one numbers he always does. Um, how about your risky pick, Mark? Risky pick. I got Matt Stafford coming back, beating the Niners. Um, I think the Rams need a win desperately. Um, they've kind of lost their identity this year. I think that's a team that's that's going to bounce back coming off a bye as well. That whole division is just insane to me. The fact that the Seahawks are in the lead at four and three, and then Rams three and three, 49ers three and four, Cardinals three and four, that game could go anyway. So I don't hate it for a risky pick. Corbin, get fishy with me and tell me you're a risky one. My fishy risky pick is going to be the Saints plus two at home going against the know. Raiders. There we go. I, they were my underdog and the betting with the belly, but I'm doubling down in the survivor pick. Again, you're not going to be able to pick the Saints on too many occasions, but I think that the Saints have shown that they can put up points regardless of the quarterback. Defense is always stout. And the Raiders are in for another loss. Well, you know what, Corbin? We have ourselves a do 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 
Yule, because I picked the Oakland Raiders. They're not in Oakland anymore. They're in Las Vegas. But anyway, I think the Raiders are going to take them down. Devontae Adams is going to eat, and the Saints are just kind of all over the place. All right, that's going to conclude this week's Survivor League update. So now we get into the juicy stuff, our segments. We're going to start off with an intervention. And then, as always, bowels of the belly. And we'll finish it up with a Corbin, how bad do you want it? So the intervention, <laughs> what do you think it is, Mark? I actually have no idea where this is going. Well, that's all right, because your good friend, Bell and Gobi, are here to discuss our imminent baldness. <laughs> this is just something you got to learn to accept. It ain't good, but it's just part of life, man. Yep. Probably when I was like 25 or so, I was standing in a liquor store waiting to check out and I look in the security camera and it's pointing at the back of my head and I just see a white spot and I'm like, what the fuck? There's no way that's me. And so I scurry home and I go into my room, lock the door and I pull up my phone and take a picture of the top of my head. And I'm like, sure enough, like I'm fucking losing the crown, man. And I tried doing like the keeps, I got the finasteride, the drops, the pills, everything, and nothing seems to work. So at this point, I'm accepting that it's going to happen. And I don't really know what to think. I'm pretty close to just shaving this thing. What do you think, Mark? I never knew that you had a come to Jesus moment like that in a liquor store. Um, but I got to give a shout out to Belly, who actually made me aware of what was going on a couple of years back. I was just blissfully going through life thinking I had a full head of hair. And he pointed out that it's coming off the front pretty significantly. Started looking in the mirror, sure as shit, there's not a lot left on the temples. Um, but hey, man, that's just how she goes. We're men here, and we just got to push on, I guess. Oh, how uh, what's your what's your guys' uh, father situation looking like on on their heads? Are they are they pretty cue ballish, or they still got a mop going? I was told it comes from the mother's side, so I don't really know the science behind that. But her her dad was not doing very well once he reached his 50s with his hair. So that may be my future. I don't know. So my dad's dad, my grandpa, he was pretty bald. I think, I mean, ever since I've known him, really. But my dad, when I was a kid, like when he was in his 40s, like he was fine. Sure, he had like the receding hairline a little bit. And like now he's starting to lose it a little bit more. But on my mom's side, my grandpa, he has a full head of hair. So that mom's side is just complete bullshit. Because I don't understand. Like, why didn't I get his hair? He's got to comb that thing back. He's got the slick grease lightning look every single time I see him. And I'm just like, why didn't I get those jeans? I could have missed the mark. I don't know. I must have read that on some Reddit forum, some bullshit dark web. I don't know. But uh, no, I've yeah. heard that before, Mark. You're not. Uh, you're not pulling that yeah. out of your ass. Okay. okay. Um, I will say, uh, I think my hair is looking great. Aside from my massive widow's peak, the size of Vegeta. Um, you know, every time <laughs> he goes Super Saiyan, we can all see it. And if I pin my hair back, it's an arrow pointing right to my happy trail. Um, but I will say, my dad looks like Ric Flair. It may be white, but that guy's got a whole bowl of salad up top. So I don't know when I'm going to have my day, but I know when I do, you two will both give it to me long and hard because I've been, I've been quite mean over the years, especially to Eric Martin about his receding hairline. So, you know, I'll get mine one day, but for now my main stays true. I forgot Vegeta had a widow's peak. I thought you were talking about like avatar, the last airbender. With the that would have been another great analogy for the, the point. And I've had this point since I was like little, just tell them, they're like, which direction are you going? I just lean my chin up in the air. And they're like, oh, dead ahead, baby. 
don't know, a couple of months ago, I had a come to Jesus moment with my girlfriend and said, babe, I'm going bald. Is it cool if I shave it? And she said, nope, I got to wait until we get married at least. So as soon as I get those wedding pictures done, honeymoon's out of the way, that bad boy is getting zipped off and I'm going to be a cue ball with a big old beard and it's going to be a good look. I'm going to own it. Hey, I'm, I'm lucky enough that Olivia does not mind bald and she loves beards and I can at least grow a beard. So I guess my future's still looking bright. I feel like that does happen when you start to lose it up top. Like it's kind of like when a, a person goes blind, their hearing gets better. Just right. like you get yeah. bald and your beard becomes much thicker. The beard just knows it's it's time to shine. So it just pops out. It's ready to fucking thrive, you know? Oh, yeah. I love it. I think you're onto something because I have been shaving my pubes at a much more frequent rate <laughs> since I started going bald. So. <laughs> when you started getting going bald, did your bush just forest? <laughs> Well, Mark, I'm glad we could have that intervention. We've finally come to grips with our situation. We got to face the music. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We're just young men growing into adulthood, and this is just part of the territory. All right, we'll end the awkwardness. I know Eric didn't like that one, but neither did I. It's okay. We'll get it out there. We'll beat you to it. You can't make jokes about our bald heads because we've already talked about it. So, Ben. Let's take a look down that small intestine. We might need an appendectomy this week for the bowels of the belly. Let's hear it. So I did have an epiphany this week or last week. I had called Corbin on the phone and I've been telling all my heaters. So um, we're going to save the best one for probably the last episode of the season. So we're just going to fill in, fill you in with uh, just a couple things that happened in my daily life. Um, it's more recent. It's more off the tongue, um, but we're going to get into it. So I had purchased my first home about a year ago, and the goal when I first moved in was to get the landscaping kind of looking pretty pretty nice. So it's got some curb appeal, got some resale value. I tore up all the weeds. I did the front like a mulch bed, took care of that for a while, but I'd been wanting to plant a tree for as long as I can remember. Um, my dad told me that my grandpa said, you got to wait to plant it in a month that ends in an R. So that's where I finally waited for. Um, I went to Home Depot <laughs> once. I couldn't find a good tree. So then I went back to a different Home Depot and I, well, I couldn't find the trees first off because it wasn't labeled properly. I was just going in circles. Then I finally found the little area where they were. So anyway, I finally find the tree section and I can't decide what to buy because I'm always indecisive about that kind of stuff. I'm walking around up and down the aisles. I see the maples like 130 bucks in my mind. I'm like, you know what? I want a flowering tree. So uh, I find this tree called the Bradford pear. <laughs> Is it bear fruit? Do you, do you, oh, you don't know about the Bradford pear? No. <laughs> okay, so I'll get there. So I just wanted a flowering tree. So I was all pumped. I was like, that one looks pretty. It's got some flowers on it. So anyways, like it was a snap decision. I get it planted. I'm watering it. And I get to work the next day. And I start to Google about a Bradford pear. And then I Google further. And it says that it is probably the smelliest tree in the world. Once the flowers are blooming and I was stunned. So what I did was I go to the website and this is the first line in the story or the website on Bradford pears. <laughs> These flowers, though lovely in appearance, smell like a mixture of rotting fish and semen, according to a variety of web reports <laughs> and personal accounts from those in our own newsroom. So I asked the guy at work and I, he's like, what tree did you buy? I was like a Bradford pear. He goes, Oh, the cum trees. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, perfect for you. Bill. Apparently it is really known in the South. These trees just smell like a whole bucket of jizz. And so um, anyway, I'm going to read you the urban dictionary on semen trees. 
Seaman trees, commonly located in business parks across commercial America. These trees blossom in early spring and produce beautiful multi-petaled white flowers, which happen to smell exactly like semen. Used in a sentence, hey Darnell, do you smell what's coming from the trees that line the boulevard? I can't seem to put my finger on what it is, but I absolutely love it. Man, those are semen trees, Tina. I always knew you were a fucking whore. <laughs> but um, anyway, I'll let you know how ripe the smell is come spring. And I'll let, I'll let you know if there's some strange people walking around my yard just huffing that thing. <laughs> so you kept it in? You didn't rip it out? Well, yeah, I talked to my uh, my guy, Southern Jim. He was the, the guy I worked with at the last company. He's like, yeah, you're not going to live in that house that long. I don't think the smells that bad. So <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to keep it for now. And if it becomes overwhelming, it only blooms for like two weeks at a time. So I just got to suffer the smell for like two weeks. But yeah, you're um, more of a sturdy oak guy. You got to oh, yeah. get a nice, strong oak. Anyways, we just switched to a new Zoom call because we don't pay for the premium. We get 40 minutes, we time out, we start a new one. And I was talking to Eric about how he felt about the intervention. And he did not think the bald thing was coming. He thought I was going to talk some shit about him being a notorious nail biter. And that brings <laughs> me to a really good story. The first time that I met Eric was junior year in high school. I had just moved to Grand Haven, new school for me. We were over at a friend's house and never met the guy before. And I take one look at his nails and they are the tiniest little slivers of nails I've ever seen before. And I was like, holy shit, man, your nails are so small. And he jerks him back. And he's like, dude, what the fuck, man? Like, why are you talking about my nails? And he's just so embarrassed. And I'm like, what's the problem, man? They're just nails. Chill. What he doesn't know is I've been a Lions fan about 10 years longer than he has. So, you know, when you go that deep in the game, it's just you got to you got to pick up some type of a habit. And uh, once he gets there, he may develop a new habit. But I, I was just ahead of the curve. I'm just picturing these nails like little tiny rectangle cartoon fingernails just surrounded by exposed skin. Oh, dude, they're a lot better than what they used to be. I remember a couple of years ago, his mom got him like that bitter juice. Like, oh, yeah, I know about nails. that stuff. Yeah, he had to do that for a while. I haven't seen him do it in a bit, but I have developed nail biting a little bit because I get like the um, the hangnails, you know, like off in the corner of my thumbs. So I feel like that's what's been starting it. But yeah, maybe it is just Lions fandom and being scared every single Sunday setting in. Just eating away at me. You just got to have a proper bite depth, buddy. Anyways, let's get to our final segment. Belly, what you got for me, buddy? All right, Corbin. Here's the question. How bad do you want it? So what are we going to go with? We're going to go a little tattoo action here. You've got to get a tattoo a fat head of Aaron Rodgers poking out of right where a V-neck would. And around it, it says, I love the Packers and Aaron Rodgers so much, just so that there's so much going on that it's going to be a pain to cover up. Fuck. So like right at my neckline. So like, uh, I don't know. Uh, like if you had a V-neck, like just his eyes would be poking out. It'd be like the bridge of his nose would be the cutoff point. Ah, because I got good chest hair, too, and I like to, like to let it hang out. So that would really cut into my uh, sex appeal a little bit. Nobody's going to want gotta, me one if I have Aaron Rodgers. got a little guy peeking out of your shirt. Yeah, just hello. Oh, you want to <laughs> sleep with me? 
So is it like colored in like a full tattoo or is it just oh, kind of yeah, black and white? Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that it's like a circle. Like the words are like a crest and it, or I guess he's kind of in front of the crest. Cause I don't want the words blocking his eyes, peeking out of your shirt. So yeah, it's a good, it's like probably three inches above your belly button. And then just a full circle, like a sphere. I have to have it forever. I can't get it removed. I mean, it's going to cost you a lot of money to get it removed. How much does it cost to get a tattoo removed? I mean, that size? Yeah, full on torso. Um, We'll give you a year allowed to remove it in 20 years. Fuck. Oh, man. You know, your last, your last 20 years of still having hair. You'll still have the chest tattoo. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go bald, and I can't accentu- accentuate my chest hair. Fuck. <laughs> <sighs> no, I'm not gonna do it, man. And Fuck. I take the lead. I wish I could say yes, but I don't even have any tattoos. I've never gotten one, just because the main thing is there's nothing that I would really want to have for the rest of my life. But just Aaron Rodgers' face and what was it? I love Packers. I love the right Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, there goes the beach for me. I mean, <laughs> I have to dress like a nun for the rest of my life to cover this shit up. But it does mean a Lions Super Bowl, too. Uh, would I get a ring for it if I did it? Why would you get a ring? You're not on the team. Because I did a part in them winning a Super Bowl. I paid a price. No, you're not even on. You're not even on the payroll as a water boy. Would they at least know that I was responsible? Could I be in like the parade on like a? You know what? They'll send you like one of those replica rings that they give kids. All right, I think this is the first time of the season I'm at a deficit four and five. I'm saying no, I can't do it. That was a good one, Bo. Fuck. Yeah, I do got to stray away from just doing stuff with rival teams, though. But I also want to stay out of your personal life a little bit too. So I got, I got, I got to dig deep here. I'm happy to get the win, but felt dirty. <laughs> yeah, that was a dirty one. You got me, Bill. Cut to the core. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you're a new listener, please follow, subscribe, like, download Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any and all other major platforms. Don't forget to give us five stars or leave a review if you haven't done so already. Follow me on Twitter at LightCorbiashi. DM me or text me some ideas for segments or anything else you want to hear. That would be cool. Please continue to spread the word, friends, family, coworkers, anyone and everyone that you can think of. We appreciate it, guys. Yeah, I want to throw a big thanks to Eric Martin for coming out. Um, it was really fun. It seemed like one of our quicker episodes, too. I think we're getting the hang of this finally. Um, but just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, any feedback is always encouraged and I uh, can't wait to hear from you next week because we've got a big trade deadline coming up. That's going to be fun. We're going to definitely talk about that. Mark, you got any parting words for the listeners? Hey, nothing crazy, man. Let's get a win this week. Home versus Miami. Appreciate you guys having me on. This is a good time. Hope to do it again. Yep. Thanks for coming on Mark. And with that said, All right.